Hi, I'm Maria Theohara Silvelosos on social media. Welcome back to Say Over 50 podcast on Soul Organized Style. Grab a cuppa and relax with us. I begin today by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we record this podcast and pay respects to the elders past and present. Many thanks for the ongoing support from the Patreon community for Soul Organized Style podcast. Your ongoing support every month keeps me developing these podcasts so you and our listeners can hear from sellers from all walks of life. Thanks for joining us on Sober 50 Podcast. Sober 50 intersects with all communities. We're a community that is so over ageism. The Sober 50 community is positively leading, being visible in the selling online world. As you may have noticed, Instagram has now removed the recent hashtag search function. So perhaps you may have noticed that the tags are no longer in chronological order. The Sub 50 strength has been in getting to know our community through checking the tag daily. Now, without being able to see your most recent sewing under hashtag Sub 50, it's quite infuriating. Instagram is not receptive to the outcry, so we're instigating a new plan to find you. For June, Use hashtag SoOver50June. For July, please use hashtag SoOver50July so we can find you quickly throughout the month of July. We'll find you fast and can like and comment on your posts every day again as the volume will be lower and the hashtag will be running only for 30 days or so. Still use hashtag SoOver50 because we want to keep our community growing. With over 235,000 posts, and at the moment, over 47,000 followers, it's where our strength lies. We'd also appreciate you sharing this in your stories to spread the message from Sober 50. And remember, in July, use hashtag SoOver50July with the hashtag Sober 50. We'll keep you updated each month and always check the Sober 50 account on Instagram as the reference for each month will be in the grid. We want to keep you and your sewing visible in the online world. Back on the podcast today is Sheila of Sheila Sews Her Clothes for Sober 50. She's our podcast guest. In the previous episode, Sheila talked about the research that she did about blankets that were made in Australia and the history. In today's podcast, Sheila expands on her findings about blankets made outside of Australia and she also gives us some ideas based on the patterns that she's used to reuse blankets for her own clothing. Now, if you missed Sheila's first podcast about blankets, please have a listen to it now. Yeah, yeah. So then I got to thinking, I had talked to someone from Twig and Tail, Angela, and she had told me about these things called point blankets, which were made by the Hudson Bay Company for Traders in Canada. These were primarily white. They're quite beautiful. And they have big, wide stripes of yellow, red, and green. And in the corner of each, they're called point blankets because in the corner of each blanket, they weave in these lines and that tells you how big the blankets are. So if you had a folded blanket, you could just look at it and you'd go, oh, okay, that's four stripes. It's a queen or whatever it would be called. So you wouldn't need to unfold the blanket? No. So I learned from Angela and Twin Tail about these amazing point blankets with this clever system. She told me that they have a complicated history, very rare. So she said they're not something people would use as garments, but they, you know, they are very treasured. 
that got me interested in blankets from around the world, what information I could find out. You know, I found out that Australia had 100 mills and lots of different blankets. And by comparison, by the way, New Zealand had about 20 mills. And they've also got only one operational mill in Auckland. And then we've got the Canadian blanket. So Angela of Twig and Tail suggested that I look into the Pendleton wool mill, which I have actually heard of. Even though I was raised in Hawaii, Pendleton wool is from Oregon, the mill, and everyone's heard of the Pendleton wool mill. I kind of looked up their site and read a bit about them. And it's interesting because in their very early years, they had Czech wool blankets, but then they started to incorporate the Native American designs. So theirs are quite tribal and quite different than ours, very different. And they do sometimes make jackets and things, but they, you know, they don't compare with ours kind of plaid and tartan styles. They're very distinct. Yeah. I also learned, I still have this, what I'll call a worsted wool from Pendleton that is this plaid design. And I learned through doing this research that it's called Black Watch. Oh. Do you know which one the Black Watch is? See, I know Black Watch from a tartan. Yes. That's the one, because I think Fibersmith has a, a tartan for sale right now that's called Black Watch. And I've had this tartan for, I'm still chicken to make it. I've had it for 40 years or something. And it's like got green and blue and a little bit of black. And I never knew that that tartan is called Black Watch. So I was pretty excited about that. You wrote to Donna. Oh, yes, I did. She's lovely. Oh, yeah. So I thought, yeah, because I, I thought, well, I'll go from the West Coast of the United States to the East Coast of the United States. And I just reckon Donna of Spool River would know something. And ironically, she collects wool blankets. She gave me a link to a place called Fairy Bolt Woolen Mills, which is 150 years old. And she said that she doesn't use her blankets for clothing and she doesn't know of anyone that does over there. But, you know, they do have a lot of history. And so I, I sort of discovered these beautiful prairie rugs, quite elegant and minimal. But I was very interested in plaid because that's kind of what I was focusing on. Yep. I was looking at the plaid blankets because that's what I was focusing on with this particular fairy ball woolen mill. And I found one that was called the shadow plaid blanket and another one that was called North Shore. And although they were plaid, they were much more muted than our design. And then I read about them, and they were apparently designed for military cadet sleeping quarters. Oh. Yeah. So I'm assuming, Maria, that this is like way earlier than retro. Way earlier. And also designed specifically for, as you said, military quarters, sleeping quarters. So it would have yeah. been probably a huge bulk order that they had to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and they wouldn't want anything too bright. No. But they were beautiful. If you look at the mill site, they do have some beautiful blankets. And then, so, so Donna was great. And so the next person I thought of was Judith, Judith Rosalind. So I wrote her and I found something out about the UK, their blankets in the UK in the fifties and sixties. Guess what they were? Were they flat as well? No, they couldn't have been. No, they weren't flat. What were they? They were plain old off-white. Oh, but don't forget. At that time in the UK, they were rebuilding the country after such a hard time during World War II. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Right? And they were being sensible and practical. Give them a break. So there's no luck with the UK. So then I wrote Elkia, so Threadbare. Yep. I think she's lived in Germany. Yes. And I wanted to find out if, you know, Germany had 
uh, history of wool blankets, and they don't. She said that they mostly had beautiful hand-stitched quilt covers. And so I have a walking buddy, and she's originally from Germany. I was talking to her today, and she said that in Germany, they've always had really high-quality goose down, so they've always had dunas. And then you would have this beautiful decorative quilt that you would put on it. So that didn't happen. I kind of did a bit more searching and I did find some really nice retro plaid coming from Holland and a little brighter ones from some other Scandinavian countries, but I couldn't find much about the history. So I do know that, you know, they did happen in different spots. I think after I looked sort of around the world at the different blankets, I I do think that even though our plaids and tartans aren't unique in the, the design, I do think the colors in Australia and New Zealand are unique. And I think New Zealand's might be slightly brighter, but I think ours have slightly more colors. That's what I think. So yeah, I think they're pretty cool and pretty special. You've done a lot of research to (laughs) figure out what happened in various countries when it comes to woolen blankets and whether they had them or not. That's amazing. Thank you. I just got really interested in the topic. And when people have a look at your Instagram feed, they'll see all of the work that you've put in to reuse blankets in your clothing. I've tried to really be careful about what projects that I pick to use them with because they are so special. And as we've already told listeners, you live in Tasmania. Yeah, yeah. So they're very practical. Very practical and used for many months of the year. I would say, because I'm originally from Hawaii, I'm not great with cold. So I can wear a wool blanket about half the year (laughs) (laughs) or wool blanket coat. Sorry. So they they do get a lot of use for me. Yep. Is there anything more that you're going to have a look or investigate further with your history? Yeah. I did do a bit more reading about the wool industry because I I wondered what happened because all these mills seemed to close down in the seventies and eighties. And that was quite interesting because you talked about the Whitland years and how you used to have to pay for anything that came in. You used to have to pay an import duty of 30%. And it suddenly went from 30 to 5%. So Australian mills got flooded with all this cheap overseas things. And then the Australian dollar back then was really strong. You know, I know we came here in 1980 on, on sort of a honeymoon And we lost 20% on the dollar. So I think of those mills and how hard that would have been because everything their people are bringing in things from overseas that are cheap and everything they're trying to sell, not only locally, but overseas is very expensive. And I'm, you know, I can see why it would have been a struggle to survive. And many didn't. And I also have this huge admiration for Waverly Mills in Launceston because they've managed to survive for 150 years. One of it was like Albany, they jumped right into carpeting when it didn't work. And you remember everyone had a wool carpet for a long time. Yeah. And then Waverly got the contract for a while for Qantas for the blankets that used to get on the plane. So that helped them out too. Oh, and I did learn another really interesting thing. You know that I recently was up in Terralia, which is the Highlands, and I had a sewing retreat with the Australian Sewing Guild chapter down here. Yep. And they all know from last year that I'm obsessed with these blankets. There's this one lovely person, Linda, and she had a red plaid blanket. And she said, now, Sheila, I'll show it to you, but I've had it for 40 years and I'm not giving it to you. And I said, I don't expect you to, but I'd love to see it. So she brought it out. And another sewist who was with us 
she was an older sewist and she knew the history of the blanket. And she said, it's called a Fraser plaid. And then there were a lot of Frasers in Tasmania. Tasmania. Yeah. So Waverly did it. And it's a really interesting, quite bright red plaid. And she said that there's also such a thing as a hunting plate. And when it's a hunting plate or plaid, and that the hunting one is brown, which makes sense. It does. So it's just just amazing what you can learn. So I guess I'll probably still learn a bit more. Yeah, I'm, I'm really happy with, you know, these little wonderful gems that I, I seem to find once I start looking. You know, it's more than just fabric that you're using for a coat because you're cold. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And you kind of know if it's a little more muted, often it's the 40s and 50s. And then in the 70s, you know, when everything was so, you know, retro bright and everything on fluoro, you get these amazing bright colors and they're all, it's a phenomenal history, really. It is. What advice would you give to people who want to make a coat using a very much loved blanket? Just Maria, based on, you know, my own personal experience and and as sewers, there's always, you know, we are very creative people and we can think of a lot of different ways of doing things. But I think the most important thing for me was to plan. I really thought about cutting up a blanket, what that meant. I was cutting up a piece of history. And so I wanted to make sure that whatever I made was not only wearable, but I would have minimal scraps. I looked into things that you can do with leftover fabric. Yeah. And I recently made a hot water bottle cover and a hot pack cover. And I've seen children's toys and mitts and dog coats. And there's someone in New Zealand making these pillow covers. And I think she sold one to Buckingham Palace or something. They're quite amazing. For me, I feel this responsibility to make sure that when I'm finished with my project, I've incorporated the scraps in as many ways as possible. I've thought about what kind of patterns I like and um, what I'll use. And yeah, so far I've made two different style jackets and a dress. So the other thing I I would suggest keeping in mind, you know, you're using, sometimes you're using checks, but often you're using plaids. And when you're using plaids, you have to use too much fabric to match it perfectly lengthwise and widthwise. So I decided I would just match it horizontally because that's really where your eye goes. And so if you look at the recent one that I did, which was the Emmy jacket by Papercut, you'll see that I've only matched the plaid horizontally, but it looks good. I also think that for me personally, I like the idea of big pockets, jackets with, you know, fairly generous pockets. And when I made this Kea dress by Fiber Mood, I incorporated the blanket stitch in the top of the pocket. It kind of, again gives a message to, you know, when you're wearing it, that this is a blanket, this is part of a bigger history. That one's quite interesting because I wear that one to work. The female nurses just all sat down, about six of them, and, and talked about me when they walked by and wanted to know all about the blanket. And then I walked around Hobart and I had a couple people stop me and say, oh, I remember those blankets on my bed. And they just made them happy. And I just felt pretty good. I think blankets, when you're using the wool blankets, some of them get a lot of wear. So they're going to be stretched in different areas, and that can be challenging. When I made the Aurora, A-Y-O-R-A, Aurora, am I saying that right, jacket by Pauline Alice? Yep. That one I, I used to check so I could quilt it, and that really stabilized the design. I got rid of the shift. But with the Emmy jacket, I used to plaid, and I didn't want to quilt it because I didn't want different lines. I only wanted you to be looking at the basic design. I didn't want to, you know, incorporate additional stitch lines. 
So that one was more challenging. It was more shifty. And so I wanted to make sure that I picked a pattern that had big pieces so I could give that wool a little more weight. So, you know, a little more drag so I wouldn't get too much distortion. So I think, and the Kea is like that too. I made it super long. So the weight of the jacket could just kind of like drag out some of the stretch. So I think that's probably something that I'd suggest, you know, just keeping in mind. And then the closures. Yeah. Tell us about that. Wow. For the first one I did, the Aurora, I did end up using my machine, but it did not like it. And I can't say I was super thrilled with the buttons. I mean, for the Kea, it's got no closures. It's just like a pinafore, the dress. But for the Emmy. The Emmy. The Emmy. The epic Emmy, I should call it. My machine refused. Just made that sound. Now it has four buttons in the front. And then it's supposed to have six around the collar. And then you can, you know, attach different, different style collars. So I hand stitched them. But no, I did not hand stitch just 10. First, I did the ones I used a blanket stitch and I used that carpet weight or the top stitch weight thread. Yep. And, you know, so I first did the first four and, and the front and that was okay. And then I decided I wanted the neck. I wanted the buttons on the in, inside of the neck. And then I wanted the button holes where you wouldn't see them on the detachable collars. So if I wore the jacket without any collars, I wanted it smooth so you wouldn't see buttonholes. So I did three of those. They were six buttons each. So I did 18 buttonholes by hand there. So I did 18, 19, 22 buttonholes by hand, Maria. That's a lot. It's a lot of hand sewing. Yeah. And it's a weird thing because years ago, a friend of mine was trying to teach me how to draw and uh, I never wanted to learn. And she um, was so kind that she put a book together for me of lessons. And because she was so kind, I forced myself to do all the lessons. And by the end, I was starting to enjoy myself. And that's how it was with the buttonholes. You know, by the time I got to about 12, I'm like, oh, this is kind of fun. <laughs> I went and bought the fiber and cloth hand stitching instructions or something she's got. And now I'm thinking of hand stitching a project. <laughs> so blow me down. I never thought I'd do that. <laughs> And that's why sewing is wonderful. You know, you just, it just leads you in so many different directions. It does, doesn't it? I mean, you didn't think when you first bought your first blanket that you'd collect all of this information and talk to all of these people. And enjoy hand sewing. How bizarre is that? Yeah. How bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah. Are you going to make one, Maria? What do you reckon? Am I? Yes, I will. Mm -hmm. I will, but I, yeah. I'll have to follow your lead and do it step by step. <laughs> because I was talking to one of the Sydney sewers, sewist, and she said that you guys used to have wool blankets on your beds in Sydney too. Oh, of course we did, yeah. I didn't think it was cold enough. <laughs> <laughs> Says she from Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> she said we only had one and you had two in Hobart. And I said, oh, okay. <laughs> That was Dale. That was really cool. Yeah, yeah. So when you come and visit me in Hobart, you'll have to bring your wool your wool blanket coat. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that's my goal. Yeah, yeah. Sheila, thank you for sharing all of your research about blankets that have been made in Australia and globally. 
and also how you increased your skill set by working on these blankets and coming up with <laughs> coats that look amazing. Oh, so kind of you. Thank you, Maria. It is so delightful to talk to you. You are just such a joy. So thank you so much for helping me, you know, develop my knowledge of wool blankets. It's just been great. Look, you did all the work. I just kept giving you a bit of encouragement every so often. You called me an expert and I thought, oh no, I better learn more. <laughs> and you have. I have. And the, and people, can you believe how many people have written and given me information? It's just, you know, the, the world of sewing is just so, it's just so generous, mm. you know, and, and so much knowledge. And it was just fabulous to sort of ride around the world. Thank you again, Sheila. Thank you, Maria. Many thanks to Sheila for putting in the research about blankets made both in Australia and overseas. And a warm thank you to everyone who has contributed to the research that Sheila has put into these two podcasts. This episode of Sub 50 Podcast on Soul Organized Style was produced by me, Maria Thea Harris, with permission of Sheila, sound by bensound.com. If you want to provide a guest post for Cyber 50, make sure you direct message Judith and Sandy at Cyber 50. You can subscribe to Soul Organized Style Podcast, but with an S not a Z on all good podcast apps. Make sure you go back and listen to our free Cyber 50 Podcast archive. And if you can, consider supporting the production of this podcast on Patreon. We look forward to joining you in your sewing room next time. Stay safe, everyone.